0: to 15 of fascism a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right i'm craig johnson this week of course we're going to continue to talk about the aftermath of the coup attempt last week in washington dc by fascists and trump supporters we're going to also talk about some ongoing events on the right in germany and brazil and close out the week with a see you in hell from 19th century france Obviously foremost on everybody's mind when it comes to what's going on on the right wing in the world today is last week's failed coup attempt in Washington, D.C. Now that there's been some time since the events, we know a little bit more about all that was going on. We know some more about the people who were there, for example. Uh, they were disproportionately middle class, uh, disproportionately actually sort of upper middle class, uh, but there were also a lot of uh, active duty cops and military officers uh, some of them were actually like psyops officers, like people who do psychologically disruptive operations in other countries. Um, there were also veterans, uh, other members of the middle class. In other words, we're talking about the central constituency of fascism, uh, the downwardly mobile middle class, and also people who already work in the security apparatus of the government. So far, there have been a few arrests by people who participated in the coup uh, but there haven't been like mass mass arrests you know it's it, it's not as if every single person who was in the building is getting arrested but uh, it does look like things are trending closer to that direction than they otherwise could have um, a lot of the people have been added to various no fly lists because of their participation in this coup attempt um, and a lot of other folks have warrants out for their arrest or are out on bail or something like that uh, one prominent example of this is a Fascist streamer named Baked Alaska, or at least that's his, you know, his internet handle. Um, He is currently evading bail and there's a warrant out for his arrest. Less intense than these arrests and no fly list additions, uh, a lot of the fascists have been deplatformed. That means, you know, that they've been banned from Facebook, Twitter, and various other social media websites, including among them, Donald Trump who has had his Twitter and Facebook accounts permanently suspended for his involvement in inciting the coup. More important than that, obviously, Trump has also recently been impeached for a second time, and that is a first in United States history, uh, for inciting an insurrection. Uh, Specifically, the language used in the impeachment articles comes from the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. This is one of the Radical Reconstruction ones. This is where the language of calling the people who participated in the coup insurrectionists comes from. In my opinion, that is too long and doesn't really get at the heart of what they're doing. Uh, unfortunately, English does not have the Spanish word golpista. Uh, Golpe is the Spanish word for a coup. Um, golpista means just like somebody who participated in a coup, right? And that's what we should be calling these people. They participated in an attempted coup against the federal government of the United States. Another thing going on in Trump's universe is that he has been reconnecting with his former advisor, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon, a major figure in the far right in the United States, and arguably one of the people principally responsible with Trump's victory in 2016. Trump had previously dispatched Bannon from his White House in 2017, and there's been a sort of rift between the two men But increasingly, Trump seems like he might be relying on Bannon again for determining how to handle the aftermath of this coup attempt. We don't know how often these people have been talking. We don't know what they're talking about, but it would not be a surprise if Bannon is trying to literally weasel his way back into President Trump's good graces following this coup attempt. Speaking of the coup itself, in the previous episode released last week immediately after the coup attempt, I was sort of cagey about exactly whether or not I think that this deserves to be called a coup. At this point, the answer is definitively yes. Um, There is a lot of evidence to support the idea that Trump himself thought that the invasion of the Capitol building was a good idea. There's a lot of evidence to support that I, the idea that some of the people who entered the building had contact with people on Capitol Hill. Uh, there are also some other creepy details that uh, lend themselves to the suspicion that there was a lot more coordination here than there otherwise necessarily had to be, just to explain the events that occurred. One example is that the panic buttons were removed from uh, Representative Presley, a representative from Massachusetts, a Democrat and a black woman. Uh, this is coming from a Forbes article on the issue. Panic buttons were removed from her office. Uh, her her aide describes them as having been, quote, ripped out prior to the attack. That is some serious shit. Uh, that implies that somebody who had access to the office intentionally removed this safety measure prior to the coup. Uh, There are suggestions that some similar things happened in other parts of the building, but we won't have those details for some time. Additionally, from Business Insider and from other sources, we have reports that European intelligence officials have been briefing their governments and saying that this was a coup. Um... The intelligence officials did not want to be named specifically, but they are uh, multiple intelligence officers from NATO countries, and one person who was more identifiable is a person high up in the police forces of Paris. Uh, And they've said that, you know, when they've been asked by their governments to give a briefing on exactly what happened last Wednesday in Washington, D.C., that it was a coup attempt that President Trump was attempting a coup against himself in order to install himself as the president again uh, following the election of Joe Biden last November. All of this is to say that as more and more details come out, and even as more and more retaliation against those who participated in the coup happens, we need to keep our eyes on the fact that this is the first just straight up textbook coup attempt in the federal history of the United States. This is the first time that it, it looks really seriously like a sitting president tried to prevent the outcome of a legitimate election from going through. Uh, this is something unlike even what happened in the Civil War. You know, in the Civil War, it wasn't as if people were saying that the person who lost to Abraham Lincoln should be the president. They created a, you know, what they claimed was a different country. This is something different. This is a coup. Uh, in which security forces cooperate with fascists outside of the security forces and outside of the state in order to attempt to take control of the government in their own interests. We'll continue to see the aftermath of these events in the coming weeks, months, and years, unfortunately. It'll be a very long time until we have the full story about what happened last week, um, but we're going to have to pay attention and stay ready. International news on the right wing this week includes the upcoming conference by the CDU, that's the Christian Democratic Union, the center right wing party that has been governing Germany for the majority of the post-World War II period. Uh, the conference is being held to determine Angela Merkel's successor, Angela Merkel, the longtime chancellor of Germany and therefore longtime head of the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU. Her original successor, uh, the person who was supposed to be taking this position, had to resign in disgrace earlier last year, back in February, because she failed to basically hold the reins on the party uh, when it turned out that one of the regional subdivisions of the party had formed a coalition with an extreme right-wing party, which in Germany is just politically inexcusable uh, in a way that it honestly should be in a bunch of other countries. Um... Ultimately, this means that the CDU's upcoming election is a question about what the relationship between the CDU and the right wing is going to be. Are they going to lean a little bit more conservative than they have under Merkel's administration? Are they going to lean a little bit more towards the center? Uh, Exactly how are they going to respond to ongoing increases in the vote share of the extreme right in Germany or um, ongoing advances of right-wing sentiment even within their own party another important event on the right wing internationally in the last couple weeks is that the much lauded universal income or universal aid packages uh, sent to people in brazil under the bolsonaro administration expired They expired on January 1st, and these payments have been really central to the solidification of Bolsonaro's popularity, even during the pandemic. Brazil's experience during the pandemic has been quite terrible, and Bolsonaro's response has been almost comically bad, much worse, honestly, than Donald Trump's. Uh, Bolsonaro is famous for just completely flaunting any and all quarantine procedures, for not wearing a mask, for giving people hugs out in the street. Uh, He basically doesn't care. But his popularity has been really buoyed by these universal payments, and it will be very interesting to see exactly how his administration navigates the ongoing nature of the pandemic, especially as the southern hemispheric summer, which is currently happening, transitions back into the fall uh, in May, June, July. And we're going to close out this week with See You in Hell, a weekly segment celebrating the deaths of prominent fascists in history. This week, we're talking about the original Bonapartist himself, Napoleon III, Charles-Louis Napoléon. Now, Napoleon III was the nephew of Napoleon I, that is, the the Waterloo one. Uh, He has the ignominious status of being both France's first president and its last monarch. So exactly how did that happen, right? After the fall of his uncle's regime, uh, finally... Uh, to the coalition forces of Prussia and the UK and a bunch of other countries in Europe. Uh, Louis-Napoleon was a, you know, political player in France. He staged a series of failed coups against the July monarchy, which was the second monarchy to succeed the original Napoleonic empire. The July monarchy is the one that's in Les Mis, for example. Uh, these coups uh, by Louis Napoleon took place in, 18, in the 1830s in France, and he you know went in and out of exile for participating in these clues. Then finally, one of the most important dates in modern European history, and possibly all world modern history happens. Uh, 1848, the Springtime of Nations, a series of revolutions and rebellions that take place all across continental Europe, in Austria, uh, the Austrian Empire is reformed, uh, after a Hungarian revolt to become Austria-Hungary. Uh, a lot of events happen on the road to Italian unification. The Communist Manifesto is popularized partly because it predicts a, you know, an imminent series of mass revolutions. And lo and behold, they did happen in 1848. And another thing that happens in 1848 is the final fall of the Kingdom of France. It is replaced by the First Republic. And who stands in the election for the presidency of the First Republic of France but this guy, Napoleon, uh, who won the vote by a massive margin. He won uh, upwards of 70% of the vote, and it looks like it was pretty legit. Uh, his electoral coalition was peasants, the middle classes, and intellectuals. That should sound familiar, Uh, to those of you who have been paying attention to me talking about these central constituencies of fascism and the extreme right in general. Now, Napoleon governs as president, as the first president of France, until he is, you know, the the end of his term is looming. He can't run for re-election per the terms of the law of France at the time, and so he stages a self-coup to install himself as emperor in 1851. The administration of now-emperor Napoleon III, the Second Empire of France, uh, is an extremely important one for French history. It sees the complete reorganization of the city of Paris. Uh, A lot of Paris's biggest avenues and a lot of its big monuments and stuff come from the period of the Second Empire. He also invades Italy and also invades Mexico, installing Emperor of Mexico Maximilian I, The defeat of the French and imperial forces in Mexico are what the celebrations of Cinco de Mayo actually celebrate. In Mexico, it's not like an Independence Day from Spain, it's independence from France and this Austrian monarch, Maximilian. Eventually, the empire of France falls into decline, partly as a result of a rivalry with the increasingly powerful Prussia under the leadership of Chancellor Bismarck. This was solidified by France's defeat against the Prussians in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. After the defeat of the empire, Napoleon III uh, is forced out of office. France's republic is restored for the final time, and Napoleon III goes into exile in the UK, where he lives for the remaining parts of his life until 1873. So like why focus on this guy? He he's not a fascist, you know, he comes long before fascism the modern thing appears. Uh the 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 earliest stirrings of something that we might call fascism earnestly are even just there a couple decades later in the 1880s, 1890s. Now the real reason that I think this person deserves to be focused on, well there there's two of them primarily. One of them is his electoral and just governing coalition of peasants the middle classes, soldiers, people like that. Um, This is the prime constituency of fascism today as then. Um, I think that there's a lot that we can learn from this particular coalition and how it works. And the other reason that Louis Napoleon deserves to be focused on is that he is the subject of one of Karl Marx's greatest and honestly most accessible works. Uh, This is called the 18th Brumaire, of Louis-Napoleon. It is a sort of more journalistic think-piece type text, uh, especially compared to if you've read any part of Das Kapital, but it's also a little bit chunkier than the pretty, well, comparatively breezy uh, Manifesto of the Communist Party, uh, which I mentioned earlier in this segment. Now, the 18th Premier is a brilliant work of political analysis, and it's among the first attempts to understand the right-wing as a political project both when it is operating in and outside of democracy. It's also the origin of the phrase versus tragedy, second is farce, uh, and when Marx is describing the succession between Napoleon I and Napoleon III. So if you're interested in learning more about this historical figure, I suggest starting there. So on that note, Napoleon III died this week in history, January 9th, 1873. We'll see you in hell. Right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. And I will talk to you next week.